Tremendous thing to be a part of. Tremendous, tremendous thing to see. God moving in the nations. Of course, the nations are his inheritance. And we need to possess our possessions. When we go there, we are simply possessing what he's already given us. But we need to possess those things by faith. Open your Bible today to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And I want to preach on something. Some of you think, oh, we've heard this before, but I, uh, I want to... I want to preach on it because I think a lot of people have misunderstood this subject. So, Father God, I, I come to you today. And, Lord, you've got work to do in our hearts. You've got work to do in my heart. You've got work to do in everybody's heart here. And we, uh, Lord, I call forth that work here today, that your will would be done in our hearts and our lives, that, Father God, every hard place, callous place in our heart would be broken up, and Father God, your word would transform it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, I wonder if you know the, the first sermon Jesus preached. It was, uh, it was not original, actually. It's not always necessary to preach original sermons. He preached the sermon that uh, John the Baptist preached. And the first word... The, the first message he preached in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what's important to know, when Jesus came, he is heaven's king, but he brought his kingdom with him. And the kingdom means the king's domain. It means the realm where the king resides, and it means the kingdom simply means a manifest presence and power of God. So he's speaking about here, when he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's speaking about that place where God's presence comes near to his people, when God is making himself known to you, where God's peace and his honor and his glory and his joy can be experienced. And he says, it's at hand. It's here. When Jesus came, he brought his kingdom, that domain where God's honor and glory, peace and joy and power can be experienced. And how important it is to experience his power because Psalm 110 verse 3 says, the people will volunteer in the day of his power. When people experience the power of God on their life, they volunteer to serve him. But he says to experience and to enter the kingdom of heaven, so it's here, it's available. Jesus brought that realm, that domain of God's presence and his peace with him. But he said in order to experience that, in order to live in that domain of God's peace and presence and power in your life, there is a condition. And that is, he says, repent. That was his very first message repent and the kingdom of heaven will be yours or the kingdom of heaven is at hand or repent and you enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's like when you acknowledge Christ is king and we repent of our sins, we enter the kingdom. But to experience the kingdom on an ongoing basis, repentance is required. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And I believe one of the great reasons people in this day and age, particularly in the Western church, are not experiencing more of God's presence and His power and His goodness and they're not alive to Him so much, living in His peace and joy, is because there is a lot of lamenting but not a lot of repenting. There's a book called Lamentations and it's a book where people are, are sorry they're broken and they're weeping and they're lamenting about what they've done. They're lamenting about what place they've got to. They're lamenting about what their lives have become because of their sin, but they're not repenting. And I believe today in the church there is a lot of re re lamenting, but not a lot of repenting. That's why we can't experience so much of God in our lives. We can't have... The, the degree of anointing and power and presence in his life. Because we aren't understanding this condition of what repenting really is. You know, I've got these things called Google Maps. They're fantastic because my wife, God bless her, and I love her very much, but she's the worst navigator in the world. She, she says, you've got to, you're supposed to turn five streets back. That's how we, we do. But these Google Maps are great. You know, you go... And you go the wrong way, and they tell you, you need to turn around. And what they're doing with you is they're helping you constantly recalibrate. Recalibrate. And when someone understands that repentance is not a one-off thing, but it's something we need to walk in in an ongoing way, you're always being recalibrated recalibrated. The Holy Spirit is always recalibrating you back to the presence of God, back to the anointing where the, where the peace and the power of God is when we understand what it is to walk in repentance. When we walk in repentance, the Holy Spirit constantly recalibrates us because we are, we are prone by our human nature to go down the wrong street, to go down the wrong paths. But the Holy Spirit recalibrates us when we understand what it is to walk in in repentance. And you know, it's, it's very important because this was, this was John the Baptist's message. His, his first message he, he preached was the same as Jesus' message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message. You can see it in Matthew chapter 3. And then he said to the people, you need to bear fruit, the, bear the fruit of repentance. So repentance, when it comes into our lives, it actually produces Fruit. And what is the fruit? It's change. It's transformation. But I, 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 as I said before, I believe one of the reasons that the church can't come into the, the place that God wants it to in this day and age is we've confused lamenting with repenting. And there's a, I've seen over the years, I've seen many altar calls and I've seen much false repentance. There is much false, you can see much false repentance in the scriptures where people, they lament, but they don't repent. And you can see it. I'll show you some, some places today. If you see the difference between Saul, King Saul and King David, and people read the Bible and they read it historically, but they don't realize that we, we look at King Saul and we think, oh, he was a bad king. He was the one God didn't want. Not originally. God wanted to give Saul everything he gave David. 
He wanted to give, Saul was supposed, he was God's first choice, not God's second. David was God's second choice. And Saul was, but, but what was the difference between Saul making a mess of his life and never walking in what God had for him and David who accomplished all God had for him? When you look at it, David in the natural sinned a lot worse than Saul did. Saul, he didn't complete an assignment God gave him to eliminate all the Agagites, but David had an affair with somebody's wife and then killed the husband. Yet it is Saul who gets disqualified and it is David who is known as the man, even though he sinned badly, who was the man after God's own heart. And what is the difference? You see, when Saul, when Saul sinned, Samuel came, and Samuel's a type of the Holy Spirit. He came to confront Samuel about his sin. And the Holy Spirit will confront you about his sin. But when Saul was confronted with his sin, Samuel came and said, you were supposed to eliminate all the Agagites. And Saul, because he was a weak king, uh, he said, I did it, even though he only partially did it. And then he says in verse 21, this is in 1 Samuel 15, you can see his response to being confronted with his sin. And he says, but the people took of the plunder. So he, he doesn't take responsibility for what he has done. And then he says in verse 25, Now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. So it sounds like he's repenting. Goes on to say to Samuel, uh, Samuel says the Lord has torn the kingdom from you today, in verse 28, has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And the strength of Israel will not lie nor re re relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, this is what Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people. So here's a man who is confronted with his sin. And it's, it looks like he says, he says, I have sinned. It looks like he's confessing. It looks like he's repentant. But... His main concern here, his only concern is for his personal loss. He says, yes, so, yes, Samuel, but uh, I've sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of the people. And he's only concerned with the consequences of his sin and what sin has cost him personally. And a lot of people, when they sin, they are sorry for what it's cost them. And they're sorry for the consequences of their sin. And, Paul, and, and, and Saul is in a place where he is he's saying, I have sinned, I have confessed my sin, but he's sorry for the personal loss he's experienced as a result of his sin. Now look in contrast, this is what I said, this is someone who's lamenting for their sin, but not repenting. And you see it a lot of times. There's, there's many people in the Scriptures that think they've repented, but they've only lamented. If you go to uh, Exodus chapter 10, God sent a plague uh, of judgment on Egypt. 
and the plague was so bad it said it darkened the whole land and it devoured everything and nothing remained. So they're under the judgment of God. And Pharaoh calls for Moses and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. It sounds so wonderful. And against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and treat the Lord that he may take away from me this death dead only. And God did. So it looks like there's a, there's a proper repentance here. The problem is the very next chapter, Pharaoh was doing the same thing again. So these people, these are, there are times in the Bible where people, what I'm trying to say, they think they have repented, but they've only lamented. And when you look at the, 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 the contrast to Saul is King David. And King David, as I said, he sinned a lot worse than King Saul, and he was confronted with his sin. And when Nathan, who's the type of the Holy Spirit, confronts David with his sin. This is what he says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. David said to, the, to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against it. And then he wrote Psalm 51, which is a psalm concerning his sin. And he writes all these things about his sin. He says, I have sinned. And he repeats this against the Lord. Psalm 51, he says, Oh God, I acknowledge my transgressions, for my sin is always before me. And this is what he says, Against you, you only have I sinned. Now, is that right? This man had taken another man's wife and he killed a man. And he says, but against you, God, and you only have I sinned. And he confesses he's got a sin, not against something he's done primarily to men, but against God, against you only have I sinned. And see, when someone begins to repent, what needs to happen for repenting to be true repenting and not lamenting your attitude to sin must change. Your thinking towards sin must change. Sin is not to do anything to do with humanity. It's not to do with any failure. It's to do with God. It's to do with offending a holy God. And until we come to re recognize an attitude towards sin... That sin isn't, it's not about slipping up and about hurting other people and about failing my wife. It's a matter of offending a holy God. And David says, he begins his repentance by saying, this issue is not about people, it's about how I failed you. And how I have offended a holy God. Until you actually see Sin is not, it's not a relational issue. It's not a this issue about that person, about this person, not about what you did. It's about you and God. Until you actually understand all sin, whatever, whatever it may be, it's an issue where you have failed God. And, and your attitude to sin changes when you see it. David said, I've got this sin nature and I've sinned against you, God. Not against people. And, and what the effects of people is secondary. And see, it's Saul is only concerned about 
how this sin is going to affect him, the personal cost of his sin. But David said, against you, you only I've sinned and done this evil in your sight. And if you read the whole psalm, he's got no, con- he's got no concern at all for the personal cost. He's just concerned about how his sin has affected God and he wants, he wants God to create in him a clean heart again so he doesn't fail God again. So it's a completely different man. It's a completely different attitude. One is just concerned for the the personal... He's completely selfish still, Saul. Saul is completely selfish, still completely concerned about the personal cost of his sin. But David, he's just sorry. And he wants to, 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 to not do again the offense... That has hurt his God. And, and you know, that two men can be caught in the same act. You know, maybe they both commit adultery. And one man, you know, cries out to God in his holiness and, and just cries like David. And, and, you know, that he says, I've done this. And, and uh, in David's prayer, you see, I, David's great concern is that God not take the Holy Spirit away from him. Take not the Holy Spirit away from me. We sing that song. It comes from Psalm 51 because he realized he grieved God and the greatest thing in his life was, was not personal blessings that Saul was compared about. It was his relationship with God. And he says, I just don't want to lose that connection with you. And that's the heart of repentance of someone who really repents. And a man may, he may you know, commit adultery or something and he, and, he, and he cries out to God and says, God, I've done this. And he confesses his sin to God and he, he's offended God's holiness and he, and, he, and he wants to get, he just doesn't want, want to lose, wants to get reconnected to God. And when you hear a person like that cry, their plead is, it's got nothing to do with self. They're, they're, they're sorry for how they've offended God. They're sorry for how they, uh, the pain that they've caused their family and all the rest of that. And, uh, and, and when a man comes to God like that, and, and, and he's so aware that he sinners against God and the pain that's caused other people. And his desire is that he just doesn't lose that connection with God. That man, God will forgive. And that man, God will restore. But I actually knew a man similar to this and he committed this sin. And his problem was God never restored him because his sin became known and he lost his job and he lost this and lost that. And he became bitter with a perceived injustice. And to, to this day, I think he's not serving God. Because what he was concerned about was the consequences of his sin, how it affected him and what he was losing. That's not repentance. It's never repentance. When we're concerned with what we're losing and the consequences of our sin, rather than how we have offended God in our sin. So, so this false repentance, this counterfeit repentance is spoken about in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. says, Now rejoice, not that you were made sorrow, sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. 
The sorrow of the world produces death, but there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And you see this. There's two people who failed Jesus before he went to the cross. There is Peter who said to Jesus, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And sure enough, when the test came, he fled from Jesus. He ran from Jesus like a, like a coward. He wasn't there for Jesus and, you know, he failed him. And, uh, and there's another man we know called, uh, we know a man called Judas who sold Jesus for 30 pits of silver. And the Bible says, after Judas did this, in Matthew chapter 27, Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he'd been condemned, was remorseful and brought back 30 pieces of silver and said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. What is it that to us, they said. So he's remorseful. He's remorseful. So he, he's experienced a form of sorrow. But the Bible says godly sorrow leads to death. So therefore, he then hung himself. Whereas Peter, Peter had the sort of repentance that David had. Peter was just sorry that he'd failed the Lord. He wasn't sorry for what it cost him. He wasn't sorry for what, what the opportunity he lost. The Bible says that he, did, he wasn't uh, just remorseful. The Bible says he wept bitterly. Peter wept bitterly at his failure. Godly sorrow. He's sorry not for what it's cost him, not for the effect it's having on his life, but he's sorry for how he's offended the holiness of God. Peter was restored. Judas was hanged. So what I'm saying, there is a godly sorrow that leads to life, repentance, and there's a worldly sorrow that produces death. So if you, if you come to the altar all the time, and you're just sorry for the consequences of your sin, and you're just sorry for how it's affecting you, you'll come to the, you'll come to the altar over and over and over lamenting but never repenting. And many people, they can't get the blessings of the kingdom because they, we, we don't understand the difference between lamenting and repenting. And I think one of the most wonderful examples, there's a few examples in the Scriptures that we can really study to see what true repentance looks like. And one of my favorite is found in the, book of, uh, in the book of Ezra, where Ezra, see, let me tell you what repenting is, to, to break it down. Repenting is this, it begins, the Bible says it begins with godly sorrow. Begins with godly sorrow, so we are convicted of our sin and it brings a godly sorrow. Now, in the book of Ezra, you see where that godly sorrow leads. In chapter 10, verse 1, Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, he says in verse 2, we have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives. So, it begins with their weeping. So it begins with a godly sorrow. 
then it produces a confession, not a denial, not a hiding of our sins. It says, and it's specific, we have trespassed against our God. So we've done wrong, not against man, not against people, against God. And then he says what we've done. We took pagan wives. The Word of God had told them they were not to marry interracially. And he says they took pagan wives. But then what's amazing, in verse 10 of chapter 10, it says, Ezra the priest then stood up and said, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives according to the guilt of Israel. They then made confession, yes, we did it, that against the Lord God of our fathers... And he says, and do his will. Now we're going to do his will. Separate yourself from the people of the land, from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as we have said, so we must do. So they were, they, they, they were sorry for the sin when it was pointed out by Ezra. They confessed the sin as sin before God. But then the third act, and this is so important, they actually took action. They actually took action that that sin would be addressed. And what the action is, what the action that repentance involves, they had married these pagan wives and they said, now, now they got convicted and they said, now we've got to change this. And it was very costly to them. They had to put their pagan wives aside to get back right with God. And when you've really confessed, when you've really repented, you've come to the altar, you're convicted of your sin, you confess your sin, but then what, the third point that's really important, you then do whatever it takes not to go back to that sin. You make whatever changes need to be made that you do not sin before God like that again. It, it, it means, repentance means a change in the direction. It means a change in my behavior. That's why John the Baptist, when he said, repent to the soldiers, they said, what must we do? He said, stop ripping people off. Just accept your wages. Let's change your behavior. So this is why a lot of people can't get the blessings because we think it's about tears, repentance is about tears, and it's about confessing. But we don't understand the main part of it is changing the behavior that so offends God. And why it's so powerful, why we must, we, must, we must understand what repentance is, not only that it brings us into the kingdom of heaven, but some of us, we live under the ongoing discipline, you can call it the judgment of God. Because... We have unaddressed sin in our lives. And God doesn't wink at sin. We're actually living, instead of under the blessing, we're living under the judgment of God. But I want to show you something. In the book of Jonah, Jonah is sent to preach to this, this nation that is so wicked. They're, they're as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah, where there's a nation called Nineveh. And N Jonah is sent with a message of judgment. And, and he's sent to preach. Uh, the message is, uh, God says, in 40 days, uh, Nineveh shall be overthrown, just like Sodom was. Their sin was so great, their offense to God was so great, God said, I'm going to erase them just like erase um, Nineveh, uh, Sodom because their sin is so great. And sends Jonah to preach this message, 40 days in your toast. And he preaches this. 
and he says, God's going to totally shut you down in 40 days, just like Sodom. He's going to th- overthrow you. And he, he's, the countdown starts, 40 days, 39, 38, 37. And the day comes, and you know, this is the word of God. So the angels of destruction are loose. The sickles are, are hanging over Nineveh. They're, they're about to be totally destroyed and totally annihilated. And then God completely stops it. God completely stops his plan of judgment. Even though he said, in 40 days, I'm going to do this. Why did he stop it? When when Jonah came preaching, 40 days your toast, the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, the greatest to the least. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and it says that, he said, let neither man nor beast nor, nor flock nor hearse tape anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? Now listen, it says, so he's saying, let every man not only be sorry for the sin, not only be convicted, but turn from his evil ways. That means change. And it says, when God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, God relented from disaster. So when God sees repentance, whatever judgment is hanging over that person's life, it is immediately stopped. When there is true repentance... God's judgment is stopped. That's true for individuals and it's true for nations. But not only is judgment stopped, if you turn to uh, if you turn to the book of Joel, Joel begins by speaking about a nation that is being devoured. And there's a, it's a nation that is being devoured under the judgment of God and they're they are being devoured by these locusts. And locusts represent demonic entities. And it starts in chapter 1, verse 4. What the locust, chewing locust has eaten, what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. And it's so bad that verse 2 says, it's anything like this happened in your day. So the, the, the Land is being stripped by these locusts and it's being completely devoured. And in the middle of the book, God gives his solution. When everything is being devoured, in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says this, When your life is being devoured, therefore there says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. That is repentance. Rend your heart, not your garments. Nothing outward. Get back to God. Get right with God. Put everything right with God again. And then it says this in verse 18. The very next verse after it speaks about repentance. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land. Behold, I will send you grain and wine. You will be satisfied. There you go. So instead of being devoured, you'll be satisfied. I will remove the northern army from you. That's all demonic torment will be removed from your life. 
God says, I'll do marvelous things in verse 21. That means you'll do miracles in your life. You won't be afraid. Verse 22, he'll remove fear from your life. The fig tree and the vine tree will give their strength. And the tree bears it. That's prosperity will come back to your life. Bible says he will cause the rain to come down. The former, that's revival will come upon your life. I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts. That means God will restore everything so that you will say, God has dealt wonderfully with me after repentance. So repentance stops the judgment of God and it immediately initiates the restoration of God upon our life. That's why as soon as the prodigal son really repentance and got up and walked out of the rot and changed his life God didn't hesitate God immediately came and embraced him and put a ring and began to restore his life but it's not lamenting it's a change it's doing whatever needs to be done so you don't go back to that place so you don't go back to that relationship that God is telling you is wrong it's a change and I'm telling you, a lot of people, they can't get these blessings, the restoration of everything you've lost, because I believe the church has stopped preaching a lot about repentance. It's preaching about blessing and all these things. And God is saying to me, what will bring the goodness of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God, the full blessings of God back upon the people's lives? is when we come and understand what repentance is. It's, it is to acknowledge our sin and to confess your sin and to turn away, change what needs to be changed, whatever the sin is. That, that's the fruit of repentance. When you turn away from whatever it is, you know that God is convicting you of. There must be a turning because if there's not a turning, you have lamented but not repented. And God wants to restore everything the devil has stolen from our lives. And you know, I believe this repentance, some of us are sitting here saying, well, I have repented. I, I repented properly when I was converted. But repentance has to, be an, it has to be something we walk in. The Apostle Paul once was preaching to a man and he, he called him a, a name and someone said, that's the high priest, immediately changed his attitude. Because he, 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 repentance is ongoing. And I believe many people today, particularly in the last 30 years, the church, particularly the church in the West, has become like the prodigal church. It's the prodigal church because what is the prodigal church? The prodigal son walks away uh, and he's, he wants the blessing of God upon his life. But he doesn't want God in his business. He doesn't want God in every part of his business. And so many people today, we've been taught, if we come to God, he's going to bless us. And we want the blessings of God in our life, but we don't want God reigning over every part of our business. And I believe there has to be a repentance in the church that says, we've chased the hands of God, we've chased the blessings of God, but we haven't fully yielded to say, God, reign over my family, reign over my marriage, reign over my finances, God, reign over everything. God, I want... I want you involved in all my business. I believe there has to be a, repent has to be a turning back to God and the denying that attitude where we, we're actually users of God rather than lovers of God. You know, it's, it's the, 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 the relationship between the judgment of God and repentance. It is so crucial to understand. 
One of the reasons I say that. The moment uh, God showed me this scripture the other day, about two months ago, maybe longer. But he showed it to me from the book of Revelation. It speaks about the judgments of God. And uh, the, bit, the bit that he showed me was when the fourth angel, it's in Revelation 16, verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. The men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who was power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Now, why am I reading that? Well, 2 Chronicles. Two, we all know this chapter very well, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's the revival chapter. But a lot of people aren't familiar with 2 Chronicles 7.13. God says, this is what happens when people sin, nations sin. God says, when I shut up heavens and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by myself, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. See, verse 13 says, when the people sin, when the sin of the world reaches so great and the cup of iniquity becomes full, it says God himself will mess with the climate. He will send pestilence and he will command to withhold the rain. Now, what's happening now in the world today, everyone knows that the planet's getting hotter, there's fires everywhere, and we have to be really careful that you don't become, you know, just trust the science, as everybody says, and you become like everyone else in the world and say, the reason for this is man. You and your petrol and all your cars causing us. The reason that for, for the, all judgment that is coming on the world and the, the greater heat on the planet is the judgment of God for all the aborting, all the greed, all the sin in the world has become so great that the planet is manifesting. And what it is, if you say, what we've got to be careful of, when the sun got hotter and scorched men with fire, uh, the men who were scorched with great, they blaspheme the main of God. What is it to blaspheme God? To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to say something that is of the Holy Spirit is not of the Holy Spirit. And it's to say that something that is not of the Holy Spirit is of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is bringing judgment on the world and, you, and the judgment is meant to bring men to repentance, but we say, no, this isn't God, it's men and their carbon, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And the fact is, the world is under the judgment of God. That's why we're seeing pestilence and wars because there's never been more sin. And the, what is meant to, to happen is men are supposed to say, we need to get back to God. The world didn't experience this when we met before God. When we walked before God, our world wasn't like this. Hundred years ago, the world wasn't like, but now we're being scorched, being wars because of the sin in the world is so great. And the only solution to it is repentance. The only so and as soon as people would repent, God would stop it. God would stop it. But be careful of blaspheming the Holy Spirit by just going along with everybody else in the world and saying, oh, this is a, this is a human cause problem. Is it? Is it? Or is God chastening? 
the nations? Is God chastening the nations for all their sin? And is he the solution to it? What is the solution? God says, he says that in the very next verse, he says, when I mess with the, the climate, when I withhold rain, God says, this is what we're supposed to do. When God withholds a rain, when God sends pestilence, he says, this is the solution to acknowledge you're under the judgment of God. If my people are called to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll from here from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and what? Not heal their, their lives, heal their land. Heal the land. That's what repentance does. It stops a judgment and brings... It's not just for individuals. It's for nations. It's for entire nations. So when you hear a message like this, and I'm speaking about repentance, you know, there's a, there's a scripture that requires a response. And the scripture says, is it this, Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. What that means, break up your fallow ground, is that if you know, you know I'm speaking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand, his presence and his power, and if you're not experiencing it, if you're not experiencing his peace, you're not experiencing his joy, you're not experiencing ongoing comfort, you're not experiencing his power in your life, you're not experiencing his miracles. You know, if, if the kingdom is not being experienced in your life, Jesus said, repent and the kingdom of God will be experienced. But in order to repent, you need to break up your fallow ground. Because our hearts, when we are not right with God, they harden. They can come through disappointment, they come through waiting too long, but our hearts can harden and we can have things in our lives that we just know they're things that are either we're, we're doing or things that we're not doing. The things that we're ignoring, we're not doing. And in order for revival to come, in order for the kingdom of God to break and His presence to break out of our lives again, we actually have to break up the fallow ground. We actually have to say, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with the lukewarm nature of my, of my life. I'm going to deal with the hardness that I know that's got into my heart, um, that lack of compassion that's come into my life. Whatever it is, I am going to deal with it. I am going to break up the fallow ground because it's time. For God to come and reign righteousness and his kingdom back upon your life. And I, 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 I don't want to uh, preach very long today, but I really believe God was actually saying, ask the people, have they lamented or have they repented? Challenge the people, have you really repented of your sin that you know, have you confessed it? Have you brought it to the altar? And have you said, doesn't matter what it costs, this isn't about men, this is about God. That you change your attitude towards sin. It's not about slipping up, it's not about failure. 
It's about offending a holy God. And you get into a place where you say, God, I, I know who you are. I never want to offend you. I want to be a blessing to you. And I am sorry that I have offended you. I'm sorry that I've allowed this to remain in my life. But this day, I want to turn away from it. And I'm choosing to turn away from it. I want to tell you what, as soon as you do that, the power of God comes and enables you to turn away from it. But also releases the kingdom blessings. The kingdom blessings over your life. And I just think, this is an altar out here. It's not a runway, it's an altar. And when we finish today, I just believe that are there areas in your life that you know there's a hardness there? Like you know the, the presence and the power of God is not really moving in your life anymore. God says you need to break up that fallow ground. You need that, the places in your heart that have become hard, you need to say, I'm going to deal with that today. You come forward, God will deal with it for you. God will do with the work. If you say, I want to deal with that hardness, I want to deal with that indifference, I want to deal with that lukewarmness today. That's you breaking up the fallow ground. Then God will come and do his bit. I know repentance is not a one-off thing. It's an ongoing walk with our lives. Repent and all the blessings of God. His power, his presence. Oh, start to come into your mornings again. You know, it says in Luke chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, we all need to be refreshed by his presence from time and time. We all need the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, repent therefore, be converted from your sins, that they be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. God wants to refresh you. But if there's anything questionable, if there's anything hard, if there's anything growing cold in your life, come forward. Let the Holy Spirit deal with it. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All the blessings will break over your life again. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. This is an altar now. It's a prayer meeting, not a preaching meeting. Just a place to come do business with God. Till the blessings of God break fully again over your life.